0: I've told you guys this before. I think my great my greatest fear is that I won't persevere in the faith. You know, I've, I've watched so many people who I thought were strong Christians just kind of fall away and fall into sin and, and forsake Christ. Maybe they would still identify as Christians, but they have backslidden so far and maybe they are still Christians but they've backslidden so far that they are in a very dangerous place. The the mark of a Christian is perseverance in the faith. Okay? I want everybody to understand that. Biblically, the mark of a Christian is to persevere in the faith. That means you're repenting of sin continually, right? When you when you find out that you're not walking in a way that pleases the Lord, you turn and you you walk with him rather than against him. Okay? That is what a Christian does over and over and over again. And he clings to Christ. He clings to him with all of his heart, with all of his his mind, with all of his strength. He clings to him, knowing that he is the salvation. And to forsake him is to forsake salvation. Right? And it's to forsake truth, and it's to forsake goodness, and everything that is good. That's what it is to forsake Christ. So my greatest fear in this life, is that I will not persevere. My greatest fear for my wife and my children is that they will not persevere. My greatest fear for you guys is that you will not persevere. However, I have confidence that that ability to persevere is given to you by Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his working, his salvation in you, Right? And he's developing perseverance in you through trials, right? Showing that your faith is genuine. I want you to listen to Paul for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, it's short. So he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified." Okay, so he's saying, he's using the the analogy of an athlete. Right? One who runs the race, he's, he's not crowned unless he runs and he competes according to the rules. He's not like a boxer who's just swinging at the air aimlessly. No, he's trying to hit his target. Right? He's pushing hard. He's tempering his body, just like an athlete. So he says, I discipline my body. Literally, the the, the Greek word is, I beat myself black and blue. Right? To bruise under the eyes, what the the Greek word is. So I bruise my body and bring it into subjection. I bring it under the authority of Jesus Christ, under the authority of God's word. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And that that Greek word disqualified, it's, it's the word for a metal that's been tested by the fire, but it's proved unworthy, so it's thrown away. If you remember in uh, 1 Peter, he talks about our trials come so that the genuineness of our faith may be made clear, just like gold that's refined in a fire. And we've talked about that, how it's dipped down into the fire and brought up and the impurities are scraped off. It's dipped down again and keep doing that process until the goldsmith can see his face in the reflection of the metal. Okay? So what he is saying here, and then Scholars and pastors are divided on it when some say that Paul is just speaking about being disqualified as a servant or as a pastor or as a preacher. Right. Um, I would say with the, the latter that he's actually speaking of salvation, that he will show that he is not truly in Christ. Okay, so he tempers his body. He makes sure that he he knows that his faith is genuine. He is following Jesus Christ with everything he's got. Any temptation comes his way, he is bearing up under it. Any trial comes his way, he is bearing up under it. And he's staying in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he continues with Jesus. Okay? You guys understand this? That's what I believe Paul is saying here. I do not want to be disqualified. Now, we have a huge battle going on, right? We have the battle of Satan, of the demons. There are literally demons trying to swerve you from Jesus Christ, trying to keep you from him, trying to pull you from him. Your flesh does not like Jesus. Your body, the comforts of your body do not like Jesus. Because to walk with Christ, we have to deny ourselves. Right? Self-denial is one of the fruits of the spirit, and guess what? Our flesh, our bodies, that, that fleshly nature of ours that, that's in our our minds, everything like that, does not want to lose that comfort. It does not want to lose sin because sin is gratifying to it, right? It does not want to lose iniquity. Iniquity is the twisting of God's right ways. You know, it's like sex before marriage. Sex is good, right? It's really, really good, <laughs> but not outside of marriage. To do it beforehand is a twisting of God's right ways. It's a destruction of how what God intended it to be. Okay? That's what iniquity is. Transgressing is seeing God's sign, like knowing his word, like thou shalt not murder, or you shall not have any other gods before me, or you shall honor your mother and father, just name the Ten Commandments, and you say, eh, not going to deal with that, and you just walk right past. Right? All right. So you have sin, iniquity, and you have transgression. Those things are all fighting against us. Not only that, but we have the world that's fighting against us. Okay? The world wants to take you and mold you into its image. Have you ever noticed how if somebody's really excelling at something, people try really hard to bring them down? You know, they make fun of the smart kid at school because they get good grades and there's a teacher's pet or whatever. Oh, no, that person's just excelling or somebody's really good at some kind of sport and people get jealous and they want to bring them down. What does the world want to do to the Christian? It wants to take you from Christ and mold you into its own image so that it no longer has to be comfortable. It wants to put out the light of Christ in you. Right, that's what the world wants to do. It wants to put out, extinguish the light of Christ that is in the believer in Jesus Christ. So we're striving against this. Now, what will help us to strive against those things? Against the demons, Satan, the world, and our flesh. What is going to help us strive against those things? Now, you think of an athlete. I wish Kevin was here because there's somebody who is actually an elite athlete. Okay? Like literally a world record holder. You know? Someone who knows what it is to really beat their body, to bring it in subjection. And the in the way Paul was talking about in the figurative sense. Okay. You know, if you talk to him, he's he's like, well, yeah, work out at this time because science shows that you know your hormones at the highest level this time, so you get just I mean, you're you're looking for increases about this big, right? You're looking for benefits about this big when it comes to sports and athletics, because like in track. A millisecond is the difference between first and second place, right? And so what are the things that God has given us? Are we going to take advantage of everything that he has given us? The first one, he's given us Jesus Christ, our Savior. To forsake him is to forsake everything, all right? Everything that God has for you is bound. It it is, is placed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. to forsake him is to forsake salvation it's to forsake forgiveness it's to forsake righteousness it is to be under God's wrath and under his judgment so none of these other things will do you any good so he's given us Jesus the Savior cling to him right what does he say anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved all you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus just ask him to save you I have sinned against you so greatly Please, please save me you know? Second, he's given us the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit does a couple things. Number one, it begets a new spirit within us. That is what it means to be born again. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you, in a way, births a new spirit within you that now can have communion with God, who delights in the things of God, that loves God. You are new. Right. And then the old man starts dying, you know, puts it to death. But then he also helps you. He's our comforter, our um, parakletos, which means one who is called alongside to help us, to advocate for us. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us. He, he leads us into truth. He gives us power to live holy lives. He does all these things. By Jesus dying, he has opened to us the throne of grace. The throne of grace, so that we can boldly go in in prayer. Right? So we come to know who Jesus Christ is, and now we're able to pray. Our, our prayers are now accepted by the Father. Were they accepted before? I don't think so. You couldn't come before the presence of God prior to your new birth. Because you were tainted with sin. You are an abhorrence to God. Right? But then he does a work of grace in your heart. And you are now able to come before him and he accepts you as a son or as a daughter. The God who created the universe says, you are mine, you belong to me, and I am yours. Right? So we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to pray. Okay? We also have the Word of God. The Bible, this tells us what truth is, so we don't have to guess at what it is. We don't have to rely on visions and dreams, which, you know, so many people have gone astray over silly little things like that. Um, we can know the truth. We can know the truth of who God is, what he is like, what he has done, his mighty works. We know his character. right? We also discern truth from error in the world. Because now we have a biblical worldview as you begin to read it. You don't have a secular worldview where there is no God. You don't have some kind of Buddhist worldview, you know, or any other kind of false religion. You have a biblical worldview that leads you into truth and peace and joy. Right? So we have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, prayer, we have the Word of God, and then fifth, the fifth grace that he has given us is the church. is one another right to to sharpen each other, to pray for each other, to stand in arms with each other, right If this is a battle, if this is actually a war between good and evil, between God and this world and Satan. and if we are on God's side, don't you think we're going to need some help? We need encouragement from each other. We need the prayers of others. We need the example of others. Right? We need godly examples in our life. We need people who, say, who we can say, they imitate Christ, so I'm going to imitate them. Right? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we are to be in the church. We are to be taught. God has given us, when Jesus died... It says that he, when he came back, he gave us gifts. He gave us apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry, according to Ephesians. Okay? He has given us people to help lead us and guide us in these things. Okay? So he's given us the church. It's an organized entity. All right? The church is not just us sitting in our living room saying, okay, let's read the Bible, dude. You know, it is it is an organized, an organized organization. <laughs> right. There are, there's leadership. There's works. There are those who have different callings. And so they all work together. OK. That is what the church is. And to forsake any one of these graces that God has given us is detrimental in our lives. It's detrimental in our walk with our Lord, okay? I mean, if, if somebody is doing a sport and they knew, you know, they're competing according to the rules, so they're not using steroids or anything like that, but they they know that if they forsake one training session or their sleep or certain dietary practices, they know they're not going to be efficient, you think they're just going to say, oh, that's okay. I'll come in third, second, fourth. Heck no. They're going to do everything they can to try to gain that edge. All right. They're going to do everything they can to get their body to work properly. And that is the same with our life of faith. We're going to take advantage of all these things. We're not going to stop praying. We're not going to stop reading our Bibles. We're not going to stop clinging to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So why would we quit going to church? And people give, I think, about three ex- three excuses for not going to church. Number one, I worship in my own way. Now, that's a very prideful thing to say. I worship God in my own way. You know, Cain said that. You know, Cain it said, Abel and Cain, they both brought their offering. Abel brought the first of his livestock. He brought a lamb, okay, an unblemished lamb. Cain brought the fruit of his field. He said, "Ah, oh, I worship in my own way. And it says that God looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but he did not look favor- favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. And Cain was dejected. He was downcast because of that. And because of that, he ends up killing his brother because he does not have God's favor resting upon him. God's stamp of approval was not there. Now, did God say, you know what, you can never sacrifice to me again? No. He could have repented and said, okay, well, I'll bring you something that you want. But he was prideful and he was arrogant, thinking that he could just bring God whatever he desired. That is not what we do as Christians. We live according to this, right? This is is how we discern what truth is. The just will live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what God has said. Okay? So we don't worship in our way. We worship in God's way. Or they say, I don't like the church. You know, which is totally not understandable because you guys are fantastic, right? But some people don't like going to church. Some people don't like the people in church. But God loves the people in it, God loves His church. Shouldn't we love what God loves? Shouldn't we enjoy what God enjoys? God enjoys the singing of his saints. God enjo- enjoys the turning of our hearts at the hearing of the word of God. God enjoys our fellowship together. And God enjoys sharpening us with each other because we're not all easy to get along with. You know, there's going to be annoying people in the church. Okay, There's going to be weird people in the church. There's going to be people that are really hard to get along with in the church And you know what you are to do? Do you know what your calling is with those people? It's to love them and to bear with them. To bear with them. Not to throw them away. Not to say, you know, I like fellowshipping with these people over here. That person loves Jesus too, but they're a weirdo, so I'm not going to fellowship with them. That is not. I mean, go tell Jesus that. See what he says. You know, I'm pretty sure he's going to say, I love that person and I fellowship with them. You know, shouldn't you? And we'll go over the character of the church in a minute. But let's look. Oh, and there's one other. Um, I haven't found a church that I like. Now, this could be a valid reason because there are a lot of churches out there not preaching the truth that don't worship in spirit and in truth. And you need to be very Very careful. Okay? Be very careful. Because what you hear from the pulpit and what somebody says authoritatively may not be right. You need to be careful when you listen to me. Okay? You need to be careful when you listen to any man. Make sure. Just measure it up. Say, okay, is what he's saying true according to this? If it is, then it's authoritative. If it's not, maybe he's wrong. Okay? Which is fine. We're wrong sometimes. Or maybe he's a heretic. and That's worse. A liar about God. Okay. But find a church that God likes. Don't don't fall into the, well, I don't like the hymns or I don't like contemporary worship. Just go and worship. Die to yourself. All right? Pastor Dave, he that's, when did he go to um, the Gideons in South Dakota? Do you remember? It was a couple of years ago. It was like after we went. He is still showing people the picture of their worship, which was accordions. And like the polka, which I think is hilarious because he always said will, he will worship no matter what, even if it's to the polka. If they're really praising God with the polka, he's going to worship with them. And he got his chance. You know, So I always, I just thought that was hilarious. He's still showing pictures of it. He's still just enamored with the fact that they were still playing accordions and, you know, stuff like that. But he worshipped. He worshipped with them. You know? It doesn't matter what it is. The, make sure the, the the words are true. I think worship is extremely important. I believe I believe in what's called the regulative principle. If it's not in the Word of God, we shouldn't sing it. Okay? There's a lot of songs out there that sound good, they feel good, but they're not true according to the Scripture, All right? And so we got to be careful about that. But I, I do believe that's secondary to the preaching of God's Word. If the, if the pastor comes in and he is reading from this and he is teaching from this and he is proclaiming what is written in this, then you have a good pastor. Even if he talks with a lisp or something like that or a slur, okay, he's still a good pastor. Okay, so judge rightly, judge according to what God would judge him by. Okay? I love making you laugh, it's hilarious. <laughs> but judge according to what he is actually doing. Okay. Not according to feelings and stuff like that. Okay. We do not walk by according to our feelings. We do not obey God according to our feelings. Otherwise we would never obey God. We obey him, obey him according to his truth. What is written. Okay. So as you guys are looking for any church, these are things you look for. You look for truthful, Holding to the integrity of the Word of God, preaching. Okay, I I have my pet peeves, like the the conversationalist preacher that just is so like laid back and stuff like that. I don't like that because I think God's Word should be preached authoritatively, you know. But if he's preaching the truth, I think that's okay, too. And I got to get over myself, you know. If he's preaching it truthfully, if he's preaching it with integrity, if he is also living it out, so that he can be an example of it. Okay, let's go on. So finally, we're gonna to get to Acts chapter 2. Okay, and we're gonna see the beginning of the church here. So in verse 14, so the church is just our Jesus died, he rose again. Fifty days later, you have Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on the believers. They're in Jerusalem in the upper room. They start speaking with different tongues, which means different languages. Okay, They weren't going, or something like that. They were actually speaking in other languages, is what they were doing. Because everybody heard them in their own language, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then Peter stands up and he gives the first sermon of the church. Okay? He preaches it for the first time without Jesus being there. So look at verse 14, chapter 2 of Acts. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, because people hear them talking in tongues, and they think they're drunk. Okay? He says, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which I believe is like nine... Yeah, 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's going to take them right back into the word of God. They, they see something happen. He takes them into the word of God and it says, It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, and I I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he kind of tells them, like, this is the end. Right. This is what he said would happen in the last days. They would prophesy. They would dream dreams. He would pour out his his spirit on all people, on all flesh, not meaning not just the Jews, but all, right? Jews and Gentiles, those who aren't Jews. And he says, and then this will happen: the show signs and the wonder or signs in the heavens and wonders above, and uh, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming great and awesome day of the Lord, before Jesus Christ comes back. So that's what will happen. So he says this in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. And I love this. I love this sermon because he gives the full gospel here, okay? It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Okay, Right there, he says, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. And what did that crucifixion do, uh, produce? After he rose from the dead, he loosed the pains of death. He broke death. Not just for himself, but for all who had placed their faith in him. For it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and I believe this is from Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And then he starts preaching again. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God, is raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted as the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will cost. So right there you have the death of Jesus Christ. You have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's a full gospel. And now what happens if that happens to you? What happens if someone receives the forgiveness of their sins through the death of Christ? They receive Jesus Christ, who is risen, who is now their King and Lord, and who now has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. What does that person do? We're going to find out in the next. Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Imagine that. In one day, they're baptizing 3,000 people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Right? Amazing. And then verse 42. And here's what they did. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship... Okay, that's what we do here. We, we abide in the apostles' doctrine and the word of God and in fellowship with one another and in prayers In the breaking of bread. We celebrate communion together. We pray together. We share the word of God together. All right, we fellowship with each other. We laugh together. We pray for one another. Okay, that is what we are to do. And then it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is what happens. This is what a believer does. The Bible knows nothing of somebody who says they're a believer in Jesus Christ, but is not in fellowship with other believers and in church, right? Part of a church. Now, what form does that church take? It could be a house church. It could be a church in a gym. It could be a church at a big building with tons of people, right? The Bible doesn't seem to be concerned with that. But what is the character of the church? Okay, number one, love. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you love other believers. Okay. Jesus said, "They will know you by this, that you have love for one another." All right? Not because you know a bunch of stuff about the Bible. Not because you know how to do apologetics and all these things or because you go out evangelizing the lost, but because of your love for one another. That's how everybody will know that you are disciples of Jesus Christ, right? In 1 John 2, 9 through 11, it says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And brother is not a physical brother. It's speaking of a spiritual brother. Someone else who has also been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? who belongs to God. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Then in 1 John 310 through 15 which John goes over this over and over and over, just about in every chapter. He says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're clear of who they are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life, because the love of the brethren, who who does not love his brother, abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brethren. So, if you're a Christian, you love other Christians. Okay, the Holy Spirit works in you to love other Christians. If you are, if you don't love other Christians, if you don't love God's church, and I don't mean church like just the physical. Building, I mean, other believers. If you don't love other believers, then is the light of Christ in you, or are you actually walking in darkness? First John five one through two. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. You know, begotten means to be born of. You're born of God. If, you, if somebody else is born of God, then you love them. And they love you. Right? It doesn't mean you like them. It okay? doesn't mean you like them. It means you love them. It means you want what's best for them. You want them to walk with Christ and to succeed in that endeavor. Right? And you want to help them if you can. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments Okay, so love is a characteristic of those who are believers. And not just love for the world, but love for one another, love for other Christians. Okay, because we're a family. The second one is unity. Jesus prayed that his followers would be unified. So, John 17. Go ahead and go there. John 17. This is <clears throat> Jesus' prayer. So he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, the twelve, and those who are with him. And he also prays for all believers who would hear the gospel through his disciples. That includes us. So we're going to start in verse 20 of John chapter 17. So John chapter 17, verse 20 So he just got done praying for his disciples, the apostles, and now he's going to pray for us. Okay? I want you to think about that for a minute. He's praying for us. Okay? All who would believe. He says, I do not pray for these alone in verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you know that you believe in Jesus Christ through the word of the apostles? They're the ones who have written these things down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Jude, the author of Hebrews. Right? Those are the the apostles, uh, and we have their writings. Okay? So we believe through their word, verse 21, that all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave to me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have seen me and have loved them as you have loved me. I think it's awesome because I just got, I went to a pastor's conference this week. It was the Calvary Chapel Association, West Rocky Mountain Pastor's Conference. My wife knows. I don't know anything. <laughs> But I mean, there's probably I don't know. There was over probably over 200 pastors and their wives there, praising the Lord together, singing with like as as loud as they possibly could to our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it was awesome. And you sit down and you talk with them. And you know, before I actually used to not like going to these things because everybody's like, well, how big is your church? I'm like like 10. And they're like, oh, yeah, mine's three, four hundred, five thousand or something like that. And just it turns into this weird thing. But because of everything that's gone on this year, there is absolutely no pretense. All this stuff is just like floating away. Everybody's church has been hammered either by government regulations or they've had to find new meeting places or, or something of that sort. Or they've been hit hard by coronavirus, you know. And all this stuff has just humbled them and humbled me. And so we got together and it was just like a party because what was, what did we have in common now? It wasn't the size of our churches, it was Jesus Christ and what he is doing and his greatness and his goodness. And it was supposed to be a conference about understanding the times and understanding what's going on. And do you know what I came away with? The entire conference was just about God's goodness. It was just about God's goodness. Gino Geraci... I don't know if you guys know who that is. He's been around a long time. He's on the radio. He pastors um, Calvary South Denver You a pretty big church. And he's, he's an awesome guy. He's, he does great work. He's like an FBI chaplain, does all this really neat stuff. He got up and just wept. He was supposed to speak, and he just got up and weeped because he was remembering his salvation in Jesus Christ and how the Lord brought him to know him. Because before that he was like this weird new age guy that thought he was psychic and was moving stuff with his mind and doing all kinds of weird stuff back in like the what, 50's and 60's or something like that. You know But he as he remembered receiving Jesus Christ and hearing the preaching of the gospel for the first time, he was just weeping and you know, all tears just running down his face. and he had so much joy. it was like he remembered it like it was yesterday and he was like 16 when he received the Lord. You know, it was, it was awesome. And the whole conference was just about God's goodness. You know, I'm not one to like break down and cry, but I think I cried several times. I'd get home and tell my wife, like, God is good. and would just start crying. <laughs> it was just so awesome. And um, what did we have in common? We had Jesus Christ. We are unified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not anything else. We're all totally different but we had Jesus in common. We had a worldview in common. We have a goal in common, to bring him glory. So we have unity. And also the church is what holds up the truth. You guys know that you might listen to me every Sunday, but you are literally holding up the truth of God's word. Because I know if I say something wrong, somebody's going to catch me on it. If I say something that's outlandish or I start getting carried away in something, somebody will catch me in it. Somebody will call me out. You know, I say, you know, that doesn't seem right. Let's look at this. Is that, you know, start asking questions. There's an accountability here. And I want to give you guys good spiritual food. I don't want things that are going to make you weak, cause you to believe in a lie. And so I get to preach the truth. If it's the truth, you guys are to receive it. And by that, we strengthen our families and we hold the truth of God up. Um, 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. but But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, the pillar and the support of the truth. You know, it's kind of like the pillar, and then you have the ground or the support of that. The truth is laid upon that for all to see. That is what the church is to do. It is to hold up that truth. You know, I mean, I can only imagine they would be thinking of like the temple of Artemis or something like that back in Paul's day and had all these pillars all over the place and then this huge rooftop, you know, or Diana of the Ephesians, you know, one of the seventh wonders of the world is this temple that they had, you know, but instead of holding up some false God, we have the truth of the one true God, of Jesus Christ, of his gospel, of his salvation for anybody who will call upon his name. And so the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Don't forsake it. Whatever you have to do. Maybe you can't make, maybe they only have a Saturday or Sunday morning service. But maybe they have a Wednesday night service. You know? Maybe they have a Bible study that you can go to. Don't forsake God's church. Be a part of it. Especially now especially now in this world that we are living in, that we are, I'm expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. These things that are happening, even Turkey just declared they need to do something about Israel. Do you guys guys know the prophecy of Gog and Magog? Gog and Magog. Magog is Russia. Okay? In the Old Testament. Ezekiel 38 has this coalition of all these different countries. Turkey, Iran, I can't remember them all. There's a whole bunch of them, but all these nations that surround Israel, led by Russia is supposed to attack Israel before the end of days. Many believe that that's what starts it off because it says that Israel will have fuel for seven years, you know And so I think that would that's something that we may see or may be raptured before that. Jesus may come and gather us up to him before that. But um, I think it'd be really cool to watch because God's going to save them without no military hand, no iron dome. Nothing will save them but God alone. It's going to be it's going to be an awesome event. But these things are coming. And let's say we got another hundred years before they do. Our world is still falling apart. Chaos is ensuing. Pastors are being imprisoned in the West. That used to be something you'd only heard about in North Korea and in Africa and in um, Russia or some of these other um, more communistic type states. Communism is coming here. And a communistic state and the church cannot coincide with each other. Okay? You have government that wants to be God, wants to rule your life and run everything. But then you have those who worship the one true God and declare freedom. And so they don't go together. They cannot work together. And as our world goes down, we need to be strong. right? We can't wait until then. Like, okay, things are really bad. Okay, now I'm going to go to church. I don't think you will. I wouldn't if I waited that long. 'Cause obviously it's not a priority anyways. Because when it gets really hard, you're less likely to do something. Right? And you're not gonna go and be a part of a church when you're under persecution if you're not already a part of a church. Okay? You're gonna suffer. And now we have aliens coming. Have you guys been watching that stuff? <laughs> I actually have theories about that. Either one, it's um It's a total just scam to take our eyes off what's really going on and just a distraction. Um, Or two, and this is much more fun. So I'm going to go with this. Go to go to Genesis chapter six real quick. Genesis chapter six. I should have stopped at the end of talking about the church, but I didn't. (laughs) Okay, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Okay, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. I don't just to clear that up. I don't believe that means they will only live to be one hundred and twenty years old. It means they have one hundred and twenty years before he's going to flood the earth. Okay. And then it says in verse four, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward. Okay, after before the flood and after the flood. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. You know, where all all the legends of the, you know, Hercules and the Titans and all this stuff come from? I believe right here. These men of renown, these men legends are made up of. Mord saw, verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man in whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So they took wives for themselves. Okay. Now some have said that for them to do that means that their daughters were given to these beings that came. But look at verse um four again. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. So when Israel comes out of Egypt, they go and fight all these races of giants. Okay, the the Rephaim and the Nephilim and the Anakim and um the oh it's it's kind of a funny sounding one, but it means the terrors. They were called the terrors. These people were called the terrors, you know. And they fought the king of Bashan, who's who was like 16 feet tall or something like that. You know, these huge men. But it says, there were giants on the earth in those days and also after when the sons of God came out of the daughters of men and they bore children to them. They came. Could it be that these are not aliens, that they're actually demons that are deceiving the world? You know, demons will try to deceive. They will try to get your eyes off of Jesus Christ. And what's a great way, but other than aliens, you know, UFOs and stuff. So that's the fun one. I also think that it's probable that it's just a big scam. You know, let's get everybody's eyes focused on aliens and stuff like that. And then they won't see us just ripping their freedoms out from under them and, you know, doing crazy stuff. Who knows? But, um. It says it was before the flood and also afterward. Why wouldn't it happen again? Especially in evil days like this. So, don't forsake any of God's graces that he's given you. Don't forsake his word. Definitely don't forsake Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit no matter what. But don't forsake his church either. Okay? Everybody said amen. 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 Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your church. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to help one another even more so. That we would strengthen each other, that none of us would try to go at this alone. None of us are heroes, Lord. You're the only one who goes at it alone who saves alone by your mighty hand and yours alone. But we, Lord, we need you, and we need one another. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word. We need your presence as we pray to you, your favor as we pray to you, your mercy as we pray to you. So please help us. Lord, I pray that none of these precious people before me, nor I myself, would slip away from you, would apostatize, but that we would all persevere. Show the character of our faith, that it is made and given, begotten by you. Lord, please help and have mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.